0: Over the course of a long season, very few teams, even the best ones, are able to avoid adversity. Whether that's a lengthy losing streak, a string of injuries, or some miscellaneous distraction, there are bound to be bumps in the road. Unfortunately for Toronto sports fans, it looks like both the Leafs and the Raptors are hitting theirs simultaneously. Both clubs have dropped two games in a row and will spend the entirety of the upcoming week on the road, which is not always a recipe for riding the ship. But players and coaches will tell you this test of metal is good for the group, It allows them to see who can be counted on when the going gets tough and which players will snap the team back on track. Hello, hello, welcome to the 416 Sports Show for Monday, December 10th, 2018. I'm Matt Antonio. You can find me on Twitter at DenicDI underscore NIC. You can find the 416 Sports Show for streaming and download on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Google, wherever else you've got your podcasts from. Go there, find the 416 Sports Show, hit subscribe and have the episodes directly into your feed every week and leave a comment or a review or a rating while you're there as well. Can you believe it's already December 10th? Christmas is just over two weeks away and it feels like it's really snuck up on us this year. And it's going to be a blue Christmas for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Raptors if they don't get their act in order. Both teams, as I mentioned, on two-game losing streaks, both teams heading out on the road on what could be difficult road trips in the next week. Neither team will return to Scotiabank Arena until next week. The Leafs will be there on Thursday. The Raptors will be there on Wednesday of next week. So, uh a, a long time away from home for both clubs, and they've got to get some. Uh, they've got to do some work to get things turned around, uh, if they hope to uh, to head into the holiday season on a cheerful note. So we're going to start with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and let's uh, go back over the last. Uh, week there were three games over the course of the week. Uh, of course, the big news on last week's episode was the signing of William Nylander. He was not in the lineup when the two club or uh, when the uh, club traveled down the QEW to Buffalo to take on the Sabers on Tuesday night, uh, and the Leafs won four to three in overtime. And that was a damn good game. That was a really really good game uh, in Buffalo. And so uh, you know, as long as the Leafs can get home ice advantage, I'll take a seven game series of that with the Sabers. Uh, come April. I thought that was a great, uh, atmosphere, a great, uh, atmosphere, not only on the ice, but in the stands, the back and forth chance of the two clubs and, and the least played, uh, for the most part, a pretty good game. And Austin Matthews showed how good he is with a pair of goals, including that dynamite overtime winner with two seconds left. Uh, But as I mentioned, Nylander was not in the lineup that night. He returned on Thursday when the Leafs hosted the Detroit Red Wings uh, and they tried to win a game by only playing one good period of hockey. They absolutely dominated in the third period coming all the way back from a 4-1 deficit to force overtime uh, before losing on a Dylan Larkin breakaway goal on the three-on-three session. Uh, And then Saturday, Saturday is where we're going to spend a lot of time uh, talking about the Leafs this week. Uh, because I thought that was. Uh, probably their worst game of the season. And. They just seemed to lack. An emotion. or And a drive. Uh, and an intensity in that game. And. A lot of people are going to. Are going to point to. The lack of. Physical presence on this team. And. I'm going to be the first one to defend the fact that I, I like the lineup construction. I don't mind the fact that they don't have a, a Matt Martin fighter type. I'm, I'm not even that upset about the fact that they don't really have a lot of guys who who finish the body or uh, finish the check, take the body, make big hits. I, I don't think you really need that. On most nights, they're going to be the more skilled team on the ice, and, and I'm perfectly fine with that. In fact, I'm better than fine with that. I, I really enjoy that, and that's the way that they've decided to construct their lineup. But I'm not asking for the 18 guys who are dressed to turn into tied Omi. It's certainly not every night, but you've got to read the situation. And when there is a night where the chippiness picks up a little bit, and it was apparent from the first two shifts in that game that it was going to be a chippier affair, you've got to just dig a little bit deeper. And maybe maybe you finish the check every once in a while. There were far too many times where the the puck is, is passed and guys are just floating by. And then on the flip side, we had at the end of the game, Zach Hyman gets a five-minute major for interference and subsequently a two-game suspension for what the NHL deemed was a late hit on on Zach Hyman finishing his check. I'm not totally sure I agree with that being a late hit. Um, Craig Simpson was trying to count to three on the broadcast, and he barely even got to two uh, from after the puck was passed to when Hyman delivered the hit. Uh, it wasn't to the head. Um, Charlie McAvoy was not looking. He didn't see Zach Hyman. Maybe you can say he was admiring his pass a little bit. Um, the league made their decision to make that a, a suspendable offense. And maybe they want to send the message that that type of hit, you know, it's not to separate the guy from the puck. There's really no purpose for that hit. If that's the message they want to send, then I guess we're going to have to be okay with that. But, there, there needs to be a little bit more intensity from this Leafs lineup. Again, I don't need them to be a bunch of bruisers and a bunch of guys who are, you know, going to lay out 50 hits a night. But whether it's cleanly finishing a check, you know, on, on the four check after a pass is made or even just in these scrums after the whistle, the Leafs always act in a scrum like any action that they take is going to result in a penalty. Everybody comes together and the, the opponent's usually getting one or two shots in and the Leafs are just grabbing onto the collar and, and trying to hold them at arm's length. Give a shot back. Get in people's faces. Let them know that you are, you're in the game and, and that what they are doing is not getting under your skin. When you just stand there and let a guy rattle you you know, across the shoulders three or four times after a whistle and you don't fight back, they realize that they're going to be able to take those kinds of liberties with you and get you off your game. But it wasn't just the physicality in that game. There was a a lot of lackadaisical play in the defensive zone. They couldn't complete a lot of passes offensively. They didn't have a lot of sustained offensive pressure. And this was a game that the Leafs should have won, given the fact that the Bruins were so banged up and have so many guys called up from the AHL. And you have to wonder if at times the Leafs are playing down to their opponents. And we saw that Thursday against Detroit. It was the first time this year they had their full lineup in order, the Leafs, that is. And I know they started Garrett Sparks. I'm not putting that loss on Garrett Sparks, despite the fact he gave up five goals. I thought the Leafs played down to the level of their opponent. And that's something that they've really got to avoid because on most nights, they're going to be the better team. So you've got to bring that level of intensity every night. And they didn't do it Thursday in Detroit. Or against Detroit at home, and they didn't do it Saturday in Boston. I thought Nazem Kadri did a great job of trying to get the team engaged towards the end of the second period with that fight, but it should not have taken 35 minutes to show some emotion. And it's great that they ended up scoring three goals, but let's get some of those goals and some of that offensive pressure not in garbage time. Let's get some of that in the first two periods where it was still a game. It was 2-0 late in the second period. If the Leafs had been able to score a goal late in the second period and hold hold the fort. Then you head into the third period, just down by one. And this team's got more than enough firepower to come back from that. They had just come back from three, two nights ago. Just the inconsistency of their effort this week, uh, I, I think is what has to be most disappointing for these fans. I don't think there needs to be a trade made to bring in a more physical player. I think you've just got to hammer home the message to the the group that you've got that you've got to play a little bit tougher and that's not asking you to drastically change the way you play but we saw Mitch Marner try to throw a hit in the I think it was in the second period I know it, it you know it resulted in a suspension but a, a cleaner version of what Hyman did that's what you need and Ron Hainsey answering the bell after Morgan Riley got targeted by Chris Wagner for and let's not even get into the fact that Wagner should be suspended as well. If Hyman is because he was clearly targeting Riley and he was clearly retaliating and it was more of a blow to the head than Hyman's. So where's the suspension for Chris Wagner? And one final point on the Leafs, uh, they are now Owen 2 with William Nylander in the lineup. And Don Cherry said after the game that he would never have messed up with a winning lineup. Of course, the Leafs had won four in a row after that Buffalo win and then inserted Nylander and, Uh, The Levo trade had already been uh, completed, so he was out of the lineup for that Tuesday game. But he would never have inserted William Nylander into the lineup because it messes with a winning group. And I'm calling BS on that because you can debate whether Nylander was ready to play because he hadn't had a full practice with the team yet. And the fact that he was benched in the third period clearly showed that his conditioning wasn't quite there, which I'm fine with, by the way. Uh, No issue with Babcock pulling the minutes back, especially in a game where they're pushing for goals. And I don't think Nylander was really complaining all that much either. But you're never going to hold back your 65 point guy just because the the lineup has been winning. First of all, they had traded Levo. They didn't have you know the right complement of players. They had five centers, and Lindholm or, or Goche rather had played the wing. You're telling me you're going to leave Frederick Goche in on the wing instead of bringing in bringing in William Nylander just because you've won four games in a row? No, BS. I don't know why I'm commenting on anything Don Cherry says because it's been a long time since what he says should be taken as gospel. But I just thought that was an interesting point that some fans might share the opinion of. Uh, and I'm telling you that I'm not telling you that you're wrong. I'm giving you what I think. And I think that that, was be, that, that is BS. I don't think Neilander coming into the lineup has had anything to do with the fact that the Leafs have looked out of sorts over the last two games. Let's summarize it that way. William Nylander's insertion into the lineup is not the reason the Leafs have lost their last two games. It's going to be an interesting week coming up. Saturday was the first of a five-game road trip that will continue this week with three contests through the old Southeast Division. Tuesday, they are in Carolina to take on old pal Curtis McElhaney and the Hurricanes. And you may remember they were there just a couple of weeks ago and gave up 29 shots in the first period of a 5-2 loss. So uh, I think point of emphasis number one, let's keep the Hurricanes to under 20 shots in the first period this time around, please. They'll roll on Thursday in a big test when they take on the Atlantic Division leading the Eastern Conference Division or the Eastern Conference leading and NHL leading Tampa Bay Lightning Thursday night down in St. Pete's. Uh, So that's going to be a big test on Thursday night, and hopefully they are uh, back clicking at that point, although they will not have Zach Hyman for that game. That is the second and final game of his suspension. He will be eligible to return on Saturday when the Leafs visit the Florida Panthers down in sunrise. And uh, just an interesting note from uh, Leafs practice this morning, Connor Brown was up on that top line with John Tavares and Mitch Marner, so it looks like Connor Brown will get the first shot to replace Hyman on that line. Matthews remains between Kapanen and Janssen. I kind of like that line. Uh, and Kadri with Nylander and Marlow uh, is the third line. Then Goche Lindholm, and Ennis playing together on the fourth line. So, that's the update from Leafs Practice. We'll see if those are the lines that Mike Babcock employs on Tuesday evening when the Leafs visit Carolina when they continue their five game road trip. Toronto Raptors also losers of two straight after a loss to the Milwaukee Bucks at home on Sunday evening. That came on the heels of an overtime loss in Brooklyn on Friday night. And that uh, that one was on the heels of a, a pretty good win on Wednesday evening when the Philadelphia 76ers were here. Uh, they started off the week on Monday with a loss to the Denver Nuggets. So it's actually three of the last four for the Toronto Raptors that they have dropped and as a result they now sit at 21 and 7 still good for first place in the Eastern Conference uh, but now just two and a half games up on Milwaukee uh, and we're going to get into this in a little bit but uh, a big test coming up this week as they are also on the road uh, a four-game Western Conference road trip and the fact that they went 4-0 and on their first Western Conference road trip earlier in the season is probably not a sign of things to come Uh, as we look at who their opponents are. But the biggest story around the Raptors right now, uh, and really all week, has been Kyle Lowry for one reason or another. And it seems like much longer than five days ago that we were talking about Kyle Lowry and his comments to ESPN's Rachel Nichols on her program, The Jump, talking about uh, his relationship with Raptors president Masai Ujiri. There's still obviously some lingering discontent following the trade of DeMar DeRozan in the offseason. And that sparked a lot of debate on Wednesday about, um, you know, how Lowry should feel or, you know, what I guess he's allowed to say. And maybe for people who don't follow the team or who aren't around the team, that was really nothing new uh, from Lowry. Uh, He's never really been afraid to speak his mind. He's never really been afraid to be surly. Uh, He's been maybe more surly this year than in years past, and that's probably because of the fact that he doesn't have DeRozan around this year. The two grew quite close during their time here together, and I I think it's only human nature for someone to miss having their best friend around at work every day. I don't think he has anything against Kawhi Leonard as a person or a player, and it's clear that the trade has made the Raptors a better team. Um, But I think Lowry is certainly entitled to his opinion to be upset at the not having DeRozan around anymore. He is also quite entitled to voice that opinion. And the fact that the team was playing very well heading into that game and then played well in that game as well. Um, the, The aftermath, I guess, was sort of, hey, the team's playing well. He's playing really well. I don't really think this is a story. And again, I don't think the fact that Lowry has voiced these comments is really anything to do with the way that he or the team have played over the last couple of games. Um, but as we have seen in the past, as Lowry goes, so go the Raptors. And over the last couple of games, he has not shot very well. And in fact, he was shut out on Sunday evening in more than 30 minutes of action. He did not score a point point. and 25 of his last 28 shots have been three pointers and he is just not scoring uh, at all right now. And he spoke after the game yesterday about maybe needing to get to the rim more and not settling for, uh, for long jumpers. But this is the way that the, the league is played now, the way the game is played now, that you, you know there is a, a reliance on the three-point shot. And he's a good three-point shooter. He's just a guy who's going through a very, very exaggerated slump right now. And I think a little bit too much of the weight has fallen on the shoulders of Kawhi Leonard. And as great as he is... He can't be the one-man band. He does need some help from Kyle Lowry to knock down those open shots, and he needs help from Siakam and Ibaka and, and the whole rest of the team. So it's, uh, I, I think, maybe a little bit magnified right now how poorly Lowry is is shooting. Not to say it's being blown out of proportion because he he's, he's not playing well, and he, he deserves the criticism that he's getting because he's not playing well. And it's not for lack of trying for sure. We know that Lowry is the most upset out of anybody that he's going through this slump. Uh, And so I really think it's just a matter of he's got to play through it. He's got to shoot through it. Fred Van Vliet said after the game that, uh, he, you know, he sort of questioned how many shots did Lowry take? And he said, that's not enough. He goes, you got to go for a hundred to, to try and get out of that slump. So and that's the mindset of a lot of basketball players. And I think that's probably the right one is that you've got to take, you can't, you can't lose sight of the way that you're supposed to play because the shots aren't falling for you. You got to sort of look at it as a process over results type of thing, and just have faith in your, in your talent, your ability, and believe that eventually those shots are going to start falling for you again. So I'm certainly not worried about Kyle Lowry long-term at this point. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a familiar refrain for Raptors fans who have followed this team for the last few years. And we've seen this, especially uh, in the playoffs in years past, that when he goes into a really bad shooting slump, it really, really impacts the team. He's doing a better job this year of spreading the ball around a little bit more and, and making the offense less reliant on him. But at the end of the day, you do need your point guard to, to be knocking down those shots when he's taking them. And uh, they're going to need him this week. Uh, as they've got four tough games ahead, and we'll we'll get to that. But uh, another loss to Mo- will excuse me, another loss till Milwaukee on Sunday evening. Their second loss of the season to the Bucks. This was uh, the first meeting, however, that had Giannis Atterkumbo and Kawhi Leonard in it. Neither of them played in the first uh, matchup in Milwaukee back in October. Uh, but the Bucks come out victorious again and a big win on the road. So two wins for the Bucks against the Raptors this year, have to feel good for Milwaukee as they probably look at Toronto as a team who is obviously still ahead of them in the standings, but quite possibly the road to the NBA finals in the Eastern Conference might well run through Toronto by the time the regular season is done. So the fact that they've been able to beat Toronto twice, once without their best player, now granted Toronto's best player also not in the lineup that night, uh, but also when everybody has been involved, They've now got a win in Toronto, which will give them a lot of confidence uh, heading into the postseason if they are the the road team to start any uh, any playoff series. Obviously, a lot of basketball still to be played between now and then, uh, but Atetokounmpo is a guy who is uh, is going to be on the fringes of the MVP conversation, as is Kawhi Leonard. So um, I guess a, a disappointing result for the Raptors, uh, having home court on that game uh, to not be able to win and uh, losing two out of three on their home court over the course of the week. Uh, Against two good teams. They lost to Denver on Monday, as I mentioned, a game that they uh, will admit that they didn't play well enough to win, even though they were in it late. Uh, And if they had been able to knock down a couple more shots, they might have been able to come out uh, on top. But uh, two close losses against two very good teams. Uh, And they're in this stretch. We talked about it last week that they're in this stretch against a lot of very, very good teams. Uh, and I think going 1-3 and three this past week, especially when you consider one of those losses was in Brooklyn and tr- a classic trap game, uh, I think they're going to be a little bit disappointed with how this week played out. Uh, it was a very good win over Philadelphia on Wednesday. Kawhi Leonard dominated that game, and 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 that's good news for the Raps. They've been able to beat the 76ers twice at home uh, so far this year, and that's a team that they may see in the second or third round of the playoffs this year. So they've got to have a lot of confidence. Uh, based on what they've done against Philadelphia, but probably a little bit worried about what they've seen from themselves uh, against Milwaukee. And it's going to be a very tough test this week. Uh, Tuesday, they are in L.A. to take on the Clippers. The Clippers currently sitting in fourth place in the Western Conference. Oh, then on Wednesday, on a second night of a back-to-back, they've got to go to Golden State to take on the Warriors who are first in the Western conference right now. Then Friday, they'll head to Portland to take on the trailblazers who currently sit in seventh in the Western conference, but at 15 and 11 and 10 and four at home are certainly not a team to be reckoned with. And then they'll wrap up the road trip on Friday when they go to Denver, who currently sits in third in the Western conference, just half a game back of golden state. They may end up playing the first place team in the Western conference twice on that road trip. Oh, and the Clippers, who I said they're in fourth, they're one game back of Golden State. And Portland is two and a half games back of Golden State. So, four games against four very good teams. It's a little bit of a daunting look ahead when you consider how the Raptors have played over the last two games, but maybe getting out on the road. You know, spending time together off the court and maybe sort of less distractions from being at home. Sometimes that can be a good thing for a club. So they're going to need to bring their best effort every night on this road trip. And I will be very interested to see if Kawhi Leonard plays in both games of that back to back. I mentioned it last week. He has not yet played both nights of a back-to-back yet this season. But those are two very good teams. And when the team is struggling, those are two games that you want to win and you need to put your best lineup forward on both of those nights. So I would not be surprised to see Kawhi play both games of the back-to-back for the first time this season. Maybe you rest him Friday in Portland if you think there's a little bit of fatigue following that. But he's playing the best basketball of the season right now. And as long as he gets through Tuesday night with no issues and, and he hasn't had any issues you know, for the most part, so far this year, he did miss a game or two with an ankle injury uh, earlier. I think you got to play him at some point. The we the training wheels have to come off, or the kid gloves have to come off, and and he's got to be able to to go every night that he's needed. Um, so let's let's keep an eye on that. That's certainly something that I think is going to be uh, worth monitoring this week. Uh, it's a daunting test for the Raptors, and really their first big big test to see where they measure up against some of the top teams in the NBA this season. talk a little baseball right now as the MLB winter meetings get underway today, Monday, in Las Vegas, and it's been a bit of a slow development to the start of the offseason in MLB. Only one top-tier free agent has signed, that being left-handed pitcher Patrick Corbin uh, inking a six-year deal with the Washington Nationals amid reports that he was uh, in the running to become a New York Yankee. But still a lot of top-tier names out there on the market, including outfielder Bryce Harper, including infielder Manny Machado. Starting pitchers, Jay Happ is still out there. Craig Kimbrell, the closer from the Red Sox, is still out there. So, And this is typically the time where we do see a lot of movement, if not necessarily a lot of high-profile transactions. Uh, this is where a lot of the groundwork and contract negotiations and trade negotiations in, is done. So I do imagine we will see uh, some transactions this week, some much bigger than others. There's no guarantee Harper or Machado will sign this week, but uh, I think the two of them signing will help kickstart the market as a lot of the uh, lesser free agents are kind of waiting for those dominoes to fall and and some teams who lose out on those big stars will obviously be looking, uh, you know, to... To still make a splash uh, in some regard and we will we'll turn to some of the, the smaller names in the free agent pool. So I, I think once those two guys sign, obviously uh, it will open the doors for a lot more activity. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Toronto Blue Jays, however. They are not expected to be uh, major players in free agency, as mentioned. There have been uh, some reports about them trying to uh, obviously bolster their starting pitching depth. Uh, a, because they need it. There's a pretty thin group behind Uh, Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, and and I think you can throw Ryan Barucki in there, even though GM Ross Atkins said this week that uh, he's still got to come earn a spot in spring training. I I, I don't think that's unreasonable for him to say, but um, concerning they really don't have anybody else in the organization at this moment, you've got to imagine Ryan Barucki is being penciled in in the starting rotation, so they're looking for some starting pitching. There's still a chance that they might trade a Stroman or Sanchez. And Ross Atkins, when he met with reporters early last week, uh, did admit as such is that he is obviously not closing the door on any possibility. Uh, they like what they've gotten: Stroman and Sanchez, both under club control for another two seasons. But if the right offer is made, considering where the Jays are on their contending curve it might make sense for them to uh, to look at players that they can have under their control for a little bit of a longer window as they enter into the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. era. Uh, some of the more interesting comments that Atkins made last week include the fact that uh, teams remain interested in catcher Russell Martin. And the Blue Jays may be willing to go with a tandem of Danny Jansen, who came up late in the year last year and, and played pretty well in his Um, in his shot in the final two months. Luke Maley is also still under contract. They also have Reese McGuire, uh, who came up at the end of last season as well. So they do have some depth at the catching position, even if two of the three incumbents outside of Martin are relatively young players, rookies in fact, I think they would be comfortable, even if they had to eat a good portion of Martin's salary, to send him to another team, perhaps a contending team, to give him a chance to get back into the playoffs and win another World Series. I think they'd be okay with doing that and turning uh, the reins over to Danny Jansen on a more full-time basis to get him some regular playing time in a year where they do not expect to make the playoffs, but can allow Jansen to, to really sink his teeth into being a big league catcher on a consistent basis. Now, in the event that they don't trade Martin, I think that they certainly can keep him around, have him catch maybe two or three days a week, and play him at some other positions as they did last season. A little bit at third base, a little bit at second base, maybe a little bit in the outfield, maybe a little bit at first base again. A guy who can move around the diamond, and he acknowledges that as a guy who's now moving into his late 30s, he probably can't be relied upon to be an everyday catcher, and he admitted last season that he would be open to finishing his career as more of a utility type player. And that may be the case whether it's with the Blue Jays this year or not. Um, I'm a big fan of Russell Martin. Uh, He clearly has regressed offensively over the last couple of years. Uh, But I certainly wouldn't mind keeping him around and letting him catch a couple of days and and then having him play elsewhere where you can kind of have him as a mentor for Danny Jansen. Russell Martin pretty much didn't play at all in September last season. And uh, that was to allow Jansen and Maley and Maguire uh, to get in. He did miss some time. Uh, he went on the uh, the paternity list for a, f- a few games, but I don't believe he played after September 3rd or something like that. Um, so, I don't think it'll be that drastic next season, but I think having him catch one or two days a week and play elsewhere another two or three days a week, not as a full-time player, but a guy who plays three to four days a week at various positions while allowing him to to mentor Danny Jansen as a catcher and have him work with the pitching staff, I think that might be uh, the more ideal situation for the Jays they're going to be paying that salary either way uh i believe it's uh 17 million dollars on his contract for this season uh in order to trade him they'd probably have to eat somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 to 15 million dollars uh i think i'd rather just pay him that 17 mil to to work with my guys as opposed to uh paying him to go play somewhere else but that's just uh that's just my viewpoint on it uh, another interesting a player to keep an eye on through the winter and into spring training is Troy Tulowitzki. He said towards the end of last year that he hoped to be ready for the start of 2019 and that he would not consider a position change off of shortstop. And if he was not able to be an MLB level shortstop, he'd pack his bags and go home, uh, which was an interesting comment at the time and has been made even more interesting by comments from Ross Atkins this week, where he said that he thought Tulowitzki would have to overachieve to be an above average shortstop at the major league level in 2019. Now, what exactly does all of that mean? He has to overachieve to be above average. So if he doesn't overachieve, does that mean he is an average shortstop? Are the Blue Jays comfortable sending out an average shortstop for the majority of 2019? Or if he doesn't overachieve, does that mean he is a below average shortstop? We obviously don't know where they view Tulowitzki in comparison to some of the other infielders they have in their system, but Ross Atkins also admitted that if the season were to start this week, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. would probably be the Blue Jays' starting shortstop. Now, maybe that means that Tulowitzki is not quite healthy enough to play just yet, although he has been working out with his college team. He expects to be ready for opening day. And if he is not going to be the opening day shortstop, or at least the everyday shortstop, if that indeed is going to be Lourdes Gurriel Jr., what happens with Troy Tulowitzki? He's owed a lot of money over the next two seasons, and I'm not totally sure that he's just going to, as he says, pack his bags and go home and walk away from $38 million. Uh, That would be kind of dumb on his part, I think, to just go home and not collect your money instead of maybe learning to be A, a part-time player, or B, play at another position. Uh, But he is certainly entitled to have those thoughts and have those feelings. And he is also entitled to change his opinion from when those comments were made in August of last season. If he comes to spring training and now says, you know what? Maybe I'm willing to move to second base, or maybe I'm willing to move to first base, or maybe I'm willing to be a backup player. If he comes out and says that, it should not negate uh, or it sh- sorry, it should not uh, be ignored because of what he said in August. He may have had some offseason realization that, hey, I'm not quite as good as I used to be. I'm not ever going to be as good as I used to be. I'm still a competitor, but I've come to face the facts that things have changed. And maybe I only play twice a week now. He is entitled to that opinion. Now, do the Blue Jays have to uh, keep him on their roster and pay $18 million for a backup shortstop? That might be a harder pill to swallow. But good luck trying to find someone to take that contract for a guy who is going to be a backup player. And much like with Russell Martin, they'd have to eat a big portion of that salary to send him to another team. And the return in that trade is going to be nominal at best. So it is going to be a very fascinating situation to see what plays out with Tulowitzki. Maybe he does show up to Dunedin in February, and he looks great, and he's running, and he's hitting, and he's able to make plays in the field, and now the Blue Jays have a decision to make where Troy Tulowitzki is the everyday shortstop, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has to move around the diamond. Maybe he plays a bit in the outfield, maybe he plays a bit at second base, maybe he plays a little bit at shortstop. That would, I think, be the ideal situation for the Blue Jays. And I think that's probably what Ross Atkins was trying to communicate. That the expectations are lowered and should be lowered for the fans. And I think they are lower for the fans because we haven't seen Tulo on a Major League Diamond since July of 2017. So he will be probably, I will say, the second most interesting storyline for the Blue Jays. Because the most interesting storyline will and should remain Vladimir Guerrero Jr., How he performs in spring training, what the Blue Jays do with him when opening day comes around, and if he's not on the roster, how soon he is called up. So maybe that storyline falls to second because it's more predictable and we actually have an idea of what is going to happen. Uh, So maybe Tulowitzki's storyline is the most important or the most intriguing. Uh, I'm fascinated to see where it goes, and uh, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans are as well. And we'll see if they make any uh, moves in free agency this week. We'll see if they make any trades. We know they have guys on the block. We know they have guys that they're looking at. Uh, and will there be any roster turnover? Uh, excuse me. Will there be uh, any roster moves made by the Blue Jays this week during the winter meetings in Las Vegas? Let's do a quick Week 14 recap in the NFL. And I'm wearing the Bears hat today because a big win for my Chicago Bears on Sunday night football over the Los Angeles Rams, who had been averaging like 30 points a game. And then they come into Soldier Field and put up six. Take that, LA. Six points for the Rams in Soldier Field on Sunday night. The Bears win. They move to 9-4. and four. The Rams fall to 11-2. And, and as a result, fall into second place behind New Orleans in the NFC standings. And New Orleans with a big win over Tampa Bay on Sunday uh, retain that. Uh, they have the tiebreaker because of the head-to-head meeting in New Orleans earlier this year. So now the road to the Super Bowl in the NFC might run through Louisiana instead of through California. Uh, but a lot of playoff positioning and playoff spots still up for grabs. And we'll start with Thursday night in Kansas City. The Chiefs will be hosting the Chargers and the AFC West is essentially on the line. The Chiefs are 11-2. The Chargers are 10-3. and three. A win for the Chargers would move the two into a tie atop the AFC West. The teams have met once already this season. That was all the way back in week one when the Chargers, uh, excuse me, when the Chiefs emerged with a 38-28 win in L.A. over the Chargers. So... An AFC West showdown will kick things off in week 15 of the NFL with a lot of spots on the line. Marquee game in the Sunday 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock slots is New England at Pittsburgh. Both teams losing surprisingly yesterday. New England losing in Miami on that miraculous final play for the Dolphins. Pittsburgh losing on a late touchdown in Oakland and then having a field goal blocked that would have sent the game to overtime so both teams coming off a loss both teams are trying to uh stay alive in their well the, the Patriots have have clinched I don't know they haven't clinched a playoff spot yet but they're they're well out in front uh the Patriots are with a Let's see where they are here. They are nine and four. They're only two games up on the Dolphins now, actually, but they're still in good position uh, to win that division. But their spot within the conference is looking a little bit more tenuous. The Steelers just a half game up on the Ravens for the lead in their division. So that's a big game for both clubs Sunday afternoon in Pittsburgh. The Sunday nighter is the Rams as they look to get back on track when they host the defending Super Bowl champion Eagles, who essentially have to run the table at this point. They are six and seven. Uh, they have to win three in a row just to get to nine and seven and have a chance to make it in as a wild card Monday night, new Orleans at Carolina will wrap up week 15. Uh, that's going to be a good one too. the saints looking to, uh, continue keep their hold on the number one spot in the NFC. And of course they will already know, uh, what the Rams have done from their primetime game the night before, but uh, a lot of good football this past weekend. And, uh, I'm expecting a lot more this coming weekend as well as we get closer to the playoffs and a lot of crazy things happening, uh, a lot of offense this year as we know, and uh, I don't expect any different. And it's also the semifinals for fantasy football in week 15. Uh, You don't care about my fantasy team, so I'm not going to mention it. Uh, Let's take a look at the upcoming schedule for the next seven days for uh, Toronto and the NFL no games on Monday so you get a bit of a night off uh you can watch Monday Night Football Minnesota and Seattle are wrapping up week 14 both teams in the wild card hunt in the NFC uh and the winner of this game has the inside track on the number five position and the number one wild card spot so a big game for seeding in the NFC in that game At Seattle, that starts at 8.15 on Monday. But after that, we've got a Toronto game, at least one for every day for the remainder of the week. So Tuesday, the Leafs continue their five-game road trip in Carolina. That's a 7 o'clock puck drop against the Hurricanes. Uh, And that game will be done in plenty of time for you to catch the Raptors and the Clippers. That's a 10.30 tip-off from Staples Center in L.A. Then Wednesday, another late one for the Raptors. It's a second consecutive 10-30 start when they take on the Golden State Warriors, uh, that being Wednesday evening. Thursday, 7-30, the Leafs are in Tampa Bay to take on the Lightning, and at 8-20, it's the Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs, as I mentioned. Friday, the Raptors are back in action. Game three of their Western Conference road trip, a 10 o'clock tip-off in Portland for them to take on the Trailblazers. Saturday, Hockey Night in Canada goes to Sunrise, where the Maple Leafs take on the Panthers. That, of course, is a 7 o'clock puck drop. And then Sunday, uh, the Raptors are on at 8 o'clock. They will be in Denver taking on the Nuggets to wrap up that four-gamer and the uh, primetime NFL game kicking off shortly after that, 8-20, Eagles at the Rams. The Maple Leafs and the Raptors both struggled over the last seven days. Both will be looking to right the ship this week when they head out on the road. A lot of big tests, uh, and we'll see whether they pass them or whether they fail them. And we will break it all down next week right here on the 416 Sports Show. You can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Subscribe to the show to have episodes directly into your feed. And you will not have to go search them out moving forward. They will automatically appear on your device after being posted on Mondays. While you're there, leave a rating, leave a review. Please share it with anybody that you think might be interested in listening to my ramblings about the Toronto sports scene. I am at the Lantonio. You can find me on Twitter at the Nick, D-I- underscore N-I-C. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope you'll join me again next week when we break down everything for the next seven days of Toronto Sports. Have a great week, Toronto. We'll talk to you next week.